We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to week four of the Guilty as Charged podcast. But before anything else, I'd like to wish a happy birthday to our very own Jason, who woke up on his birthday on Friday, locked out of his Twitter account with no response from Twitter, and then he broke his $100 headphones. Maybe those things, uh, they correlate, I'm not sure. But Twitter, he's back, and he's happy. So happy birthday, Jason. How's the celebrating going so far? Uh, thank you. Um, not great. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a great couple of days. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's better now because we're recording. Is it, it is better now. Yeah, it's better. We are your present. Yay. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, today we were planning on talking about running backs, and we are, but with the Rivers news dropping two weeks ago, tight ends got pushed back. So today we'll be finishing off the offense with both running backs and tight ends, and then on Friday we'll start defense. As it pertains to running backs, Eckler is likely to return on some sort of option, probably like a second-round tender at the very least, with Justin Jackson set to return as well. There's still speculation on whether Gordon returns or not, and although both parties seem to want each other, they don't come eye to eye when it, when it comes to dollars and cents. So, Jason, you mentioned something along the lines of Gordon's return being a huge benefit to either a rookie quarterback or Tyrod Taylor. Do you think both sides get it done, or uh, does the team moving on from Rivers make it more likely because a they have the cap space and b they may need all the help they can for their new quarterback? What do you think? All right, so let me clear up real quick that sure. By benefit, I mean benefits the rookie quarterback specifically, which I mean you did say, but I want to. It purely benefits no the rookie quarterback, not the team as a whole necessarily. So obviously, with a rookie quarterback there, the best course of action would be to keep Melvin Gordon, who I think is the best pass blocker out of the three running backs. Um, keep Eckler and keep Jackson. In a perfect world, you get to retain all your players, and this rookie quarterback comes in in the best situation ever. Um, unfortunately, when you're thinking about it as you have to pay Eckler next year, who I believe has way more value than Gordon does. And then if you had paid Gordon already, that either means you have to pay Eckler as well, or you got to let him go. So if, if you're giving me that scenario of which would I rather do? I mean, you got to let Gordon go and you got to pay Eckler. Yeah, I tweeted out a couple of weeks ago that I was kind of out on Gordon coming back um, just because of his constant bashing of the fans and the situation in L.A. I just I haven't loved how much he's been so negative about that in the press. But he, to his credit, he has been uh, he's kind of backtracked and he's been you know very good with his interactions in, in the, with the media. And I think he's doing a good job of kind of painting a better picture. Um, like Jason's saying, financially, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bring both Gordon and 
Eckler back because you're looking at spending close to $20 million just on your running back position. And, you know, there's at least 20 running backs in this upcoming draft that I think could come in and you can plug them in and, and they could be at least somewhat successful. And, you know, Justin Jackson, he's been injured, but you know, he, he, he has proven his value as well as, as a runner. And I think if you have Justin Jackson and Eckler or Justin Jackson and Melvin Gordon, I think then you drafted a, a, a rookie running back and, and you're kind of in a similar situation where you have three guys that you can plug in and play different roles and, and have a versatile running back room. Yeah. But wouldn't they want to, I mean, okay. The whole thing about Eckler. Okay. If they, if they take him and they wait and I get, it, if he has like a 14, $15 million contract, because he might actually earn it if he plays another year. And if he's legitimately catching a thousand yards and a hundred passes and one of the most efficient running backs in the league, maybe, but isn't it, I mean, Jason, don't you think they'll get it done this off season? Like, is it, is it better to sign him now? I mean, it has to be right. Yeah. He's only had one real great season. It'd be way easier to sign him right now. Right now you could probably get him for around like 8 million, um, which would be a bargain now, especially if you look in it three years when you're going to get guys like uh, Saquon or Christian McCaffrey that are making the big bucks. I mean, eight million is not going to be that much at all. It's not that much now, and it's going to be dirt cheap in the future. And if you let Eckler get another full season under his belt, where we know Gordon's not going to impede on those snaps, it's just going to be the Eckler and Jackson show. That that value is going to go way up. That price tag is going to go way up. Yeah. So you 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 have to go into this off season knowing you are signing Eckler and letting Gordon go now. Uh, a tender is not the good long term move. No, because then you have the, there's always that risk that like you know a few years back when um, C.J. Anderson was a restricted free agent with the Broncos, like they placed a tender on him, and then the Dolphins put an offer sheet out for him, which would have been like ten million or eleven million dollars a year, I think, and that was a really bad situation for the Broncos to be in because they're like, we just made it to a Super Bowl with this guy, like we have to bring him back, and then he ended up being too expensive and too injured. So, um, yeah, definitely out. You know, if you sign him to a second round tender and you lose him, then you can get a second round pick back. But uh, yeah, that is a really tough question to ask if you'd rather have a second round pick or if you'd rather have Austin Eckler because Eckler is so val- valuable and he can do so many different things for your team. So um, I would just prefer to avoid that situation if at all possible and just sign him as soon as possible. Or you place the second round tender on him and let him go to another team and get a second round pick out of an undrafted free agent. That's a big win. I mean, you you could go that route too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think a lot of fans that would be kind of a big toss up for, but having a second, second round pick this year, for example, like, and then you could get a guy like Austin Jackson as a tackle and then also get a good receiver. Like that would be pretty nice too. Steven, if they were to let Gordon walk and that probably is the case, how much would they be able to trust Eckler and Jackson? I mean, because both have shown glimpses as a duo that they can get it done, but neither have done it for an entire season um, and neither by themselves. So could they even trust that moving forward? Well, to be fair, I mean, Melvin Gordon has missed his, his own set of games. And last year, I think really hurt his value. Um, he was really inefficient for most of the season. And, you know, he had a couple of really good games, but um, I'm a believer in Austin Eckler. I think Austin Eckler can be a number one running back. Um, I think you probably want to have a, a guy with if you if you're in a situation with Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, I would prefer to have a good physical downhill back that could complement them and and take care of the short yardage situations and and especially at the goal line. Um, I think my one complaint about Austin Eckler is he kind of he's not as physical at the point of attack in the goal line situations. You know he had a couple fumbles this year, um, but if you're giving 18 touches, maybe 20 to Austin Eckler, and you're giving seven or eight to Justin Jackson, like. I'm a believer in them. I think that would work out just fine. So, Jason, if they keep Eckler and they move forward with Jackson, what are they looking for in a running back in the draft this year? Well, I mean, the assumption is that they go find a power back is the assumption that everybody seems to go to be going with. Like, uh, you got your A.J. Dillon or Dillon? You got your A.J. Dillon or your your Patrick Taylor, um, the Michael P. Ryan. I, I don't... I don't believe in that. I don't think you need to go get a power back. I think you can go get a guy that is very similar to these two and just keep your scheme working in the way as it's intended. And I was talking to this, uh, I was talking about this with Steven earlier. 
if you if you go get AJ Dillon and say Austin Eckler gets hurt, well now you have to compensate for the losing that for losing Eckler. You lose this bit of the scheme and you have to adjust based on how AJ Dillon performs. Um, or you just slot Jackson in and, and you roll with run, one running back and continue that way and then go pick a guy up off the streets that would kind of replicate what Jackson does in the backup role. But, I mean, I think it would benefit them more to go get a guy um, that is more of the fit of where they have found success. Uh, they found success with the Eckler running style, the Brandon Oliver running style, the uh, Detrez Newsom, Derek Gore uh, from this last reason. If you if you're finding success with these guys, stick stick with the script, stick with what's winning right now. You don't need to go change your change what you're scouting just based off of what one guy you're losing. And honestly, if you really think about it, I mean, Gordon is not the best power back in the world either. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's more of a guy that. Well, he's intended to make people miss. Um, he, he's more of an effort runner, a balance runner. And uh, replacing Gordon with an A.J. Dillon with a power back, I don't think it would have the result that many people think would happen. There would be very rare situations in which it's actually third and short and you go and put A.J. Dillon in. I don't think that happens nearly as often as people think it would. Realistically, realistically, you would see Justin Jackson in with uh, whatever quarterback they roll next year and run a read option. It's it's probably not going to be an AJ Dillon. Yeah, I think you know Jason's really spot on, and it kind of just depends on your preference here. And um, you know, ideally, you want to just kind of replicate what you already have. Um, you know, I I am a believer in AJ Dillon. I think he could be in a successful running back in the NFL, and I you know I, we're going to talk about him later. Um, my thinking is is not necessarily that you're getting a only power back, but more of like you're getting someone that can complement what you already have. Um, you know, I think Patrick Taylor, Jason brought him up. I think Patrick Taylor has a lot of upside, and I think he's a little bit more of a versatile weapon. So you're not necessarily getting someone that you can come in that is only a power back. And obviously, you want to draft someone that's more well rounded and that can come in, in in unique situations. But, I mean, you can plug in a guy like Patrick Taylor into the situations that Justin Jackson is doing, and he would be fine. You know, I think A.J. Dillon is a bit more of a, a straight-line runner. Like, you want to just do power runs and halfback dives and stuff like that. But um, we'll touch on them. We'll touch more on them later. Well, there's also the case of if you go and get A.J. Dillon, uh, and you say you get, spend a pick on A.J. Dillon, you're then spending a pick on somebody who is – at most, going to get two reps a game, unless he really flashes and impresses and overtakes Justin Jackson on the on the roster. Uh, I I'm not even okay with spending a seventh round pick on somebody that's only going to get two reps a game as a as a very specific type of player as a as a power runner. I'm just not okay with it. If you if you want to go sign a free agent like uh, Bo Scarborough, say if uh, Bo Scarborough or a type of player like that hits free agency and you can go get him then then by all means uh if you get an undrafted free agent that that would work too but spending a draft pick on somebody that's only going to get a couple reps here and there uh, i'm just yeah pass so these two guys instead of going through the entire running back class are each going to come up with three running backs that do fit the chargers and someone they may want moving forward so jason start us off so i'm going to start this off with javon leak out of maryland listed at six foot and 205 pounds and so Javon Leak is actually my comp for Melvin Gordon um he he's a guy that would be taken in the mid to late rounds even undrafted perhaps because he did have limited action in college um but he's somebody that when I watched watched the tape he was a more decisive Melvin Gordon to take somebody who who has that skill set would be the easiest transition well obviously so Leek has a limited workload, so he has fresh legs, like really fresh legs. He He's really fast, like I think he's potential 4-3 fast. And uh, he builds momentum quick. I always, I always like those type of running backs, one of them being Tevin Coleman on the Niners. I used to love Tevin Coleman on the Falcons more than I liked even Devontae Freeman because he would build momentum behind the line of scrimmage really quick. And so by the time he got to the line, he was already going. Like, he was already full speed. So if he made contact, he was already getting three yards or or more. And one knock I have against Leak is he did have limited action in college because he was playing behind Anthony McFarland. And so there, there wasn't 
a lot of workload there to go and diagnose every little thing with him. And so the, the limited amount of stats and the limited amount of workload in college could knock him down draft boards. Yeah, I think you know the thing to point out here with um, running backs is neither of us really think that you need to go get a running back in day one or day two. You know, the Chargers have enough other needs where taking a running back in round one, two, or three, like, is just not a thing. I love Zach Moss. I love Cam Akers. Like, it's just not happening. Like, that's just not a realistic scenario for this team. You know, if it happens, like, I'll be happy. But, you know, we're talking about guys that we're probably taking on day three. And I think um, this guy from Maryland, I think that's where he would slot in as well. Um, I am going to cheat a little bit here with my guys. I'm going to throw A.J. Dillon and Patrick Taylor in at the same time. Um, I think A.J. Dillon, like I was saying, um, he's 250 pounds. Like he is a big bruising back. Like that's what you're getting. Um, a lot of people have thrown out the natural comparison of, of uh, Derrick Henry, but I think that's a little unfair to Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry is a much better athlete. Um, so I think AJ Dillon reminds me more of Legarrette Blunt, just like the physical bruising guy that can that just knocks people out. Um, Patrick Taylor, on the other hand, he's a bit of a better athlete. Um, he's six three, two twenty seven, so. Um, he's more Derrick Henry than AJ Dillon is, um, but he has better vision, better balance, better athleticism than AJ Dillon does. And with Patrick Taylor, you're getting a guy who just is a touchdown machine. Uh, he scored 30 plus touchdowns in college, despite almost exclusively splitting time with um, Daryl Henderson last year and Antonio Gibson this year. So um, there's a lot of production and a lot of physicality that you like with Patrick Taylor. So moving on to, uh, to my number two guy is going to be Reggie Corbin out of Illinois. And uh, this is the guy where you look at the the Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler and you go and find somebody similar. And that's who I have with Reggie Corbin. So uh, Reggie Corbin has insane lateral movement. Like it's off the charts. It's insane. This guy can uh, make people miss. He can change directions like in the snap of a finger, blink of an eye. It's it's probably the best in this class. Like out of anybody I would take, if you ask me who has the best lateral movement in this entire class, um, it's it's Reggie Corbin, and it's by a mile. It's so far. Um, he can outrun defenders and make angles look silly. Like there was a there was a play I don't remember who it was against particularly. It was uh, it was last year. And um, the the safety had a perfect angle on him, it looked like. He, he was coming downhill. Corbin hadn't even passed the line of scrimmage yet. And then Corbin just kicks his cleat in the dirt and takes off. And you just, you just see the safety kind of almost have to turn around 180 degrees. It was ridiculous how fast Corbin looked in that moment. And it was just... It was it was something I was waiting for. I was waiting for it to be like what was what's his knock? His his lateral movement is so good. There has to be a knock on why he's not talked about, and speed is definitely not it. So Corbin, obviously the drawback of him, um, he's not a powerful guy, but he has momentum as a runner. And I was just talking about that with Javon Leak, and uh, I was telling Stephen earlier I found the type of running back I like, and it's those guys who build momentum before they hit the line of scrimmage. Austin Eckler does it. Brandon Oliver did it. Uh, Derek Gore did it this preseason, and that's kind of the the type of running back you've seen that the Chargers seem to seem to be drawn to is these guys that build momentum really quick. And uh, Reggie Corbin is definitely one of those guys. He's not powerful. The, that that momentum doesn't translate into power very often, but it does translate into him being able to get a little bit more than he should, or being able to just absolutely blow by these guys because they're not expecting to, him to be that quick that fast. I think Corbin is definitely an underrated prospect. You know, this kind of speaks to the depth of the running back class and really how many are going to go in this draft class. But there are a lot of things to like about him for sure. So my second guy that I'm going to highlight here is uh, Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. Uh, he's 5'11", 215 pounds. Um, the thing that you like about Joshua Kelly is he, you know, he's just a hard worker and he's a tough runner. Um, he actually transferred up from UC Davis to play at UCLA and got better at UCLA. So that kind of speaks volumes about who he is as a competitor and as a player. Um, he's not the best athlete, but he is just tough and aggressive and he hits holes strong. Um, you can put him in a zone scheme. You can put him in a downhill scheme. And I think he would be successful. Um, if you want to put, if you want to talk about a guy that you could, that could step into like a Justin Jackson role, I think Joshua Kelly is it. Um, 
you know, of all the guys that we've mentioned so far, if you're wanting like a three down back, I think Joshua Kelly is probably my, my pick in that situation where I would be comfortable um, having him step up into that, that three down role. Um, that being said, testing out the combine is going to be really big for him. We are recording this before the combine, obviously. Um, so he needs to show off a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more natural burst, but he's just a tough guy. And, and there's a lot to like with, with Joshua Kelly. Yeah, Joshua Kelly, another one of those guys that really has momentum prior to the, hitting the line of scrimmage. He, he builds up that momentum quick. Uh, so my next guy is going to be J.J. Taylor out of Arizona, listed at 5'6", 185, so a small guy. Um, and my comp for Taylor is actually going to be Brandon Oliver. Uh, so continuing this trend of momentum behind the line of scrimmage, you you have um, his momentum builds up into power, something I knocked against Corbin. That momentum doesn't turn into power. Taylor's does. He will mow people over. There's there's these six foot safeties that he would just put on their back because they just were not ready for this guy. His pad level is low. That momentum does turn into power, and he will knock them down. Just he'll bulldoze past the line of scrimmage and just he'll knock the linebackers back. It's so interesting for me to watch a guy that small just bull bull dudes over. Uh, he has great balance as well. He's shifty. He makes play, he makes defenders miss with a blend of power balance and agility so he'll kind of do this this move that reminds me of brandon oliver and i'm sure quite a few people will realize what i'm talking about he kind of does like a like a dead leg where he makes the defender think he's gonna juke him and then he'll like begin the juke and then lower his shoulder and just kind of squeeze through and the defender will just be left looking stupid and i loved that about brandon oliver and right when i turned on jj taylor's tape it was one of the first moves he did and that's a that's a good way of knowing what your strength is. You're you're not a big guy, but if you set people up wrong and set them up in the way you want, and then make a move, you you can you can manipulate these guys and make moves on them. Um, and perhaps the biggest thing for JJ Taylor is this dude is a fantastic route runner, and he's really soft mm-hmm. hands. Yeah. Like uh, if if anything, if anything, he's probably not. He, I mean, he's definitely not going to be a workhorse guy, uh, but. If anything, he is going to come into an offense and he's going to have a Tariq Cohen type role or even the role Brandon Oliver had uh, back in the day, back in the day, um, where where he's he's putting up these big games receiving against like the Jets and stuff like that. He's going to definitely find some mismatches against linebackers and such that you can't really you can't really plug a linebacker in against him because it's just not going to work. He's he's nope. got an excellent release as a running back. He's going to cause a lot of problems, a lot of mismatches. And it's something that teams are going to have to scheme around. So I see his rookie year, J.J. Taylor is going to have a lot of success. And I think that success is kind of going to decline a bit because teams are going to figure out that they need to scheme around him. But he's going to be one of those guys you're seeing on the highlights like every week. Like, oh, here's J.J. Taylor again with this punt return or this kick return. Or uh, he caught this 50-yard catch and run for a touchdown. And uh, my knock against Taylor is that he is a small receiver. He's listed at 5'6". He doesn't have the potential of a workhorse guy. He's never going to be that guy. He, but um, if you're taking him understanding that he is going to have this Brandon Oliver role, you'll be fine. JJ Taylor is so much fun to watch on tape. Um, mm-hmm. Daniel Jeremiah actually said that on his podcast said he had a third round grade on him. So, you know, we're not the only ones that are liking him and, and he, he just makes guys miss whether that is with his footwork and quickness or whether that's with his physicality, he just breaks tackles and, I think at worst, if you're taking him, you're getting like a Dare Agumbawale type player where he's probably your pass catching running back and can uh, give you five, six catches a game and maybe three or four carries a game. But again, this is a later round guy. So, you know, that's, you know, that's totally fine. So the last guy I'm going to highlight here is actually Jamichael Hasty from Baylor. Um, he is definitely underrated. I think you can definitely get him in the seventh round right now. Um, he's 5'8", 200 pounds, right at the right at the dot of 200 pounds. Um, he did he did go to the Senior Bowl and he um, he did actually have a fumble, which was definitely not not good to watch. But um, what you're getting with him is a shifty guy that can make plays in space. And again, this is similar to JJ Taylor. This is a pass catching guy at the next level. Um, at 5'8", you're not probably going to want to have him as your 10, 15 carries a game guy, but you can put him out. At the slot, you can put him out wide, give him in some mismatch situations, and uh, he's got really good he's got really good route running ability and good mobility with his hips, and um, he is physical at the point of contact. Like in the holes, he can make things work, 
Um, but it's just the lack of consistent power and size that you're probably not going to have him be an every down back. He's more of a, a check down pass catcher and uh, a slot option, like I was saying. Could you guys do me a favor and quickly go back over your list and just tell me about where you think each guy's going to go? I know you mentioned the seventh round for the last guy, but can you just go over the whole list and tell me? So Javon Leak is tough to peg. All it takes is him to have like a good pro day and a team could fall in love with him because I do think he's going to time really well in his 40. Um, so it's tough to say. I mean, I could see him going undrafted. I could see him going in like the fourth round. Running backs are kind of weird in a sense. Like if a team pegs the guy as an athletic uh, player that can come in into an offense and run a good zone scheme, like he can he can go up boards. Um uh, JJ Taylor, I could see him going as high as the the second round. Honestly, like uh, there there's been some some murmurs about that where some believe he can uh, he can come in and be that Tariq Cohen that receiver, um, and that has a lot more value than a traditional running back in today's league. So if a if a team believes that he can come in and be an elite receiving back, then I mean I could see I could see a high third round. I could see I could see a team like Detroit taking him with carry on Johnson's uh, struggles in the receiving game lately and struggles to stay, stay healthy. And then you got Reggie Corbin. I I think he's going undrafted. I mean, I, I've, I haven't really seen any buzz on him at all. So it's tough for me to say, I don't, I don't know really, but the, the elite lateral moves, it's tough for me to think that a team's not going to notice that and go, yeah, he's worth a mid round pick. So I mean, it just depends. Running back is hard to peg. It's a lot easier when you when you look at quarterbacks or, or receivers where where you can kind of see them going, where you can see them fitting. But with running backs, it's kind of a toss-up. So of, of my guys, I think Patrick Taylor probably would be the one to go the earliest. Um, like I said, he's just an athletic freak, and so he, I think he's going to go to the combine and, and put on a show. And when he does, I could see him going on day two. Um, I think every other guy is going to be a sixth or seventh-round pick. Um, I think Joshua Kelly before the senior bowl is probably going to be looking at like undrafted territory, but because of how well he did at the senior bowl, he had the hundred plus yards, um, and really kind of just showed off abilities that people didn't realize he had. So, um, I think he elevated his draft stock by doing that, but I still think six round pick, I think AJ Dillon, because of his limited upside is a six or seventh round pick and, um, hasty out of Baylor. I don't think many people have really heard about him much. So I think he is seventh rounder on drafted territory as well. All right, moving on to tight ends. Apparently, I don't know if you guys knew this, but if the Chargers move on from Hunter Henry, uh, that's the last straw for some Chargers fans. Uh, I oh, guess they no. draw the line at a second round pick from 2016. He's never played a full season, and whose career highs are 55 catches for 652 yards. Uh, I like Henry a lot, but uh, I don't know about him. It's a tight end, so that's where you draw the line. Yep, life is over you know. at that point. It's done. Yeah. So anyway, as it stands right now, the team does need a tight end, whether it is Henry or a draft pick. Virgil Green isn't going to cut it as a number one. Do you guys think the Chargers are kind of stuck with Henry since they aren't taking a tight? They're probably not taking a tight end early. Um, I mean, are they stuck with him? Is that they just have to pay Henry at this point? I think you probably piss people off real quick. Actually, I want to I want to take a moment. I want to piss people off before Steven makes them feel better. Um, I'm moving on from Henry. <laughs> Good I'm, cop, bad cop. No. I, I just I don't want to I don't like I said in the previous podcast about the offensive lineman I'm done with the injuries no I'm done with the injuries get him out and uh, I mean if you can get Henry to sign a reasonable de- deal he, like I think they're gonna tag him because he hasn't really proved it yet and I mean a lot of people say he's a good all around tight end he he offers the blocking he offers the receiving look I love his receiving potential but he's not ve- he's not very athletic in terms of like. He's not anywhere near like a Travis Kelsey or uh, Evan Ingram. He's not a he's not a very athletic tight end. Um, he's got great receiving ability though. Um, he's got good nuances to his routes to get him open open despite those athletic limitations. Um, I don't think he's a good blocker. I mean, I thought in the first half of the season uh, when he was healthy, he was a good blocker. But in in that final stretch of like four or five games. The, his run blocking and and pass blocking were really atrocious. Like they were really bad. And maybe the maybe the old line coach coming in fixes it. I don't know. Um, but man, I, I'm just, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna kind of play uh, the bad guy here, and I'm just gonna say I I would probably move on from Henry. I the only reason I 
I'm not okay with it in a sense is you really need to help your rookie quarterback out. And I think tight ends mm-hmm. are huge for rookie quarterbacks. Huge. Especially when you when you think about how these tackles have struggled. Having Henry there to help, I mean, kind of block. <laughs> I, I, I'm about it. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't be mad if they signed Henry. I, by any means, I'd actually be kind of happy and relieved. But um, if I'm the one making the decision, which is probably why I, I shouldn't be making the decision, <laughs> I, I probably let Henry walk. No, I totally understand what Jason is saying, just the injury aspect of things. But um, if it were me, I would franchise tag him and make him prove it that he can play 16 games or at least 15. Um, that being said, like tight end is another one of those positions that it's extremely difficult to transition to the next level. Even a guy like Noah Fant, who is just an incredible athlete, he really struggled last year in Denver. TJ Hawkinson had one good game in Detroit. And everybody thought he was like the second coming of Gronk, and that was it. He had one good game, and then it was just a no-show the rest of the season. So I think you'd franchise tag him, and then you draft one of the guys we're going to talk about. And if Henry is 15 games, 16 games, then great, you bring him back. And if not, then you move on to the future of the position, and you keep Virgil Green Green around because he's an excellent run blocker. And you kind of need that tenaciousness from – the tight end spot. So I think Virgil Green, you keep around, and then you make Hunter Henry prove that he deserves to be around as well. All right, Jason, you like this class, so go ahead and kick us off. Who's your number five tight end? So I actually have three tight ends that are tied for number three. So all anywhere from five to three is all going to be – they're all my tight end three. And, and I'm going to start with Thaddeus Moss out of LSU. Let's hit a 6'3", 225. Um Moss is a fantastic blocker. Like if you if you want to replace Virgil Green uh, as kind of the, the tight end two in this offense, but have more receiving potential than than Virgil Green offers, yeah. uh, Thaddeus, Thaddeus Moss is your guy. Um, mm-hmm. Thaddeus Moss is probably going to be taken in the second round, though. So I don't I don't see the the Chargers having an option there for him. I, who who actually today released a mock draft saying tight end at two in the second round? There's there's one on NFL.com that released uh, saying the Chargers take a tight end in the second round, which is no. whatever. Well, that aside, we're not we're not dealing with that. So Thaddeus Moss is a fantastic blocker, especially at the point of contact, which is where he allows his strength. Uh, his strength also shows in his receiving ability, like both in the the run blocking game and the uh, receiving game. He he has strength, and you can tell. Um, he won't wow anyone with his athleticism. I think it's okay, but he does win in impact or contested situations with his frame and catch radius. He has a ridiculous catch radius. Um, and, uh, he has a lighter tight end as well, which is, he was listed at only 225. yet he does have that power and that strength. And he real, he will like frame out these, these linebackers despite that size. Uh, he needs time to improve. He'll, he'll start slow. Like if a team is come, expecting him to come in and be the tight end one, which I don't think should be the case. It's it's not going to happen. Uh, he's definitely going to need that time to to really to really progress. Uh, but I, I do have his blocking as an A. Uh, I think I think coming in and uh, being in that Virgil Green role for a team will really benefit him for the rest of his career. He needs that that defined position there as as the blocking tight end that can kind of make a make a reception in a pinch. Agree. I you know I agree one hundred percent with what you're saying about Thaddeus Moss, and I think he's pretty easily the best blocker of the group. Um, I actually have him listed at number three as well, so I'll talk a little bit more about my opinion and, and how I view him uh, a little bit later. But um, my number five is actually going to be a surprise to most people. It's a bit of a wild card. Um, it's Charlie Tamapeu from Portland State. He's six three, two hundred forty five pounds, and uh, the quality of the tape of like like the actual video quality when you watch him isn't great. But I promise you, like, if you Google his tape, like, there are a lot of things to like when you watch him play. Um, he's a very smooth route runner. But what you really like to, what you really like out of him is he is explosive after the catch. Um, he had a bunch of long touchdowns, which is really, you know, kind of hard to do as a tight end position. Um, so he's a really good athlete. He can make people miss. He's physical at the point of attack. But really, he's a great route runner. Um, you can put him in any kind of situation. They moved him around from, traditional tight end to the slot to out wide. And um, he was easily their, their most important and most versatile offensive weapon at Portland state. So um, there are a lot of things you can do with him. And um, you, you talk about replacing Hunter Henry. 
who's just kind of an all around good at everything. I think that's Charlie Tamarpeo. I think he, I give him a B minus just at pretty much every single aspect of our grading system. And, you know, really he's just solid. He's a solid player and I really like him a lot. Yeah. I don't know who that is. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea who you just listed. Uh, so I'm not going to add any input there. You know, I just that lying. He 100% is a wild card. Uh, you know, actually my brother-in-law played at UC Davis and that's how I heard about him. Uh, he texted me a few weeks ago. and was like, dude, you need to watch this tight end from Portland state. So, uh, to the casual fan, like you're probably not going to hear about this guy. And, and that's kind of why I like him. You can get him in the seventh round probably. Um, or maybe even as an, as an undrafted free agent and you're potentially getting a steal. So I think that kind of um, inflates his value to me, so to speak. So my quote-unquote number four guy is going to be Harrison Bryant out of Florida Atlantic, listed at 6'5", 242. So Harrison Bryant is basically the polar opposite of Thaddeus Moss. I don't think Harrison Bryant blocks all that well at all. I mean, it's kind of below average uh, he does have a. He's able to get to the second level pretty easily due to his uh, mobility, um, and he does block well once he does get to the second level. He's not very good at setting the edge as a blocker. Where you're gonna like Harrison Bryant is in his receiving potential as more of a uh, possession receiver. Uh, he has great hands. Uh, he he's an above average route runner, uh, borderline elite in in terms of looking at a prospect's route running. And uh, he does offer some some moves after the catch as well. Like he can make a couple people miss, um, and he and he will kind of fool defenders. He'll fool their angles because of the a little bit of a. I hate using the term sneaky speed. I don't like that. So I'll just say he he's faster than some suspect uh, in the during a play. Um, he, he's quick after the catch, like after the initial catch, he is quick to make a move. Like you'll see him make a move really quick as soon as the ball is in his hands, which will make like the first defender miss. Uh, they, and, uh, he really excels on intermediate to deep routes. That's where you find his, uh, the bulk of his game really well is, um, you ask him to run a dig or maybe like a shallow post and he'll, he'll run those very well. Yeah. He's an excellent route runner. Um, he was my number six graded tight end. I had uh, Tommy Payo just above him uh, just because of Tommy Payo's blocking ability. And, you know, granted it was at Portland State, but um, I think Charlie Tommy Payo is much more physical as a blocker. So my number four is going to be Adam Troutman from Dayton. Um, simply put, he's a bruiser. He's a physically imposing tight end. Um, and I think he's arguably the most well-rounded tight end of the of the bunch. He's a great blocker. He is a smooth route runner. He has soft hands. He can make people miss. He can run every single route in the route tree. Um, you know, there's a lot to like, and I think he proved that at the senior bowl. He had a really good week there, and I could see him maybe going in like the third or fourth round because of that. But uh, if you can get Adam Trauman in the fifth round, that, that would be a steal to me, and I think I would be really happy about that. Um, there's just a lot of things to like, and you know, I think he's going to be a really good tight end at the next level. So, yeah, Adam Trautman is – I, I think he's a better receiver, athletic receiver, than he is a blocker. I, I didn't like his blocking at first at all. I gave it like a really low grade as a blocker. And I believe it was just because of that consistency. Like when he when he flashes on tape as a blocker, he flashes. Like he will bulldoze some people. And he's a very powerful route runner as well. He doesn't necessarily uh, make it happen purely with his quickness. He does have some power there as a route runner as well uh, in terms of framing out the defender and, and making move at the top of the route. Um, he's great, great, like great hands and, um, exceptional athlete with exceptional size. This actually works out because he is my actual tight end three. So he's my next guy I'm going to be talking about anyway. Um, he often bullied mismatches with the athleticism that he showed and that he can become such a mismatch at the next level is a huge value because if they put a linebacker on him or even a lot of strong safeties could not hang with Troutman at all. That just was not happening. Yeah. Um, he attacks the ball especially well, limiting the chance for the defender to make any play on the ball, and uh, was relied on as more than just a tight end at Dayton as well. He, you know, six five, two fifty, and you you would see him flexed out as the slot receiver or even an outside receiver sometimes, and he would just bully these corners. So they bully him. Uh, it's honestly kind of mean. Uh, should be illegal, and um, I don't think he's ready to block in the next level. Um, I don't think he shows a lot of balance at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but if Steven says he's a good blocker, then I'm going to believe it. Cause Steven is a lot better than me at that. 
So I mean, if 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 Steven says he's a good blocker, then he's a good blocker. No, I think you're, I think you're right. I think he does need to be more consistent, and I think his technique needs some work. Um, but if you're t- if you're looking at a guy that you want to be able to just bully people, like that's Adam Troutman for me. Um, yeah, I, I kind of struggle to find a comp for him. I think like physically, he kind of he just kind of looks like Sean McGrath, the old Chargers blocking tight end. Um, just like his build and his physical profile, but obviously he's a much better receiver than, than McGrath was. I don't think McGrath really ever did anything in the pass catching game, but, um, I think he, you know, he's a splash play blocker for sure. He's not going to be like a consistent blocker right now. And I think that's going to come with time. Um, so my number three is Thaddeus Moss. Like I said earlier, he's the best blocker of the group, which is really surprising considering he's only 225. He's the smallest tight end of, of anyone that's, um, measured here. Um, he's not the best route runner. He does some routes really, really well. Like he does dig routes well. He does slants well, and and he does hitches well. And he just uses his body as as a good post up option. Yeah, the option routes underneath. He has really like subtle and nuanced movements. Yeah, like in in terms of those little hitches, he he like uses his frame really well. Yeah, he's not the best athlete, but he he's really smart. He's really savvy in space, and he, and he really knows how to work the defense and work angles. And I will say, I think he had the play of the year of any tight end group or any of tight any player of the tight end group that catch at Alabama where he had that toe drag swag in the corner at the one yard line um so oh yeah he has incredible hands like you know there's not many there's not many balls that are going to be thrown his way that he's going to drop so he's just incredibly well-rounded and I think he probably has the safe I think he's the safest tight end of the group I think he if you peg one guy as a future starter tight end I think it's Thaddeus Moss you know who who Moss actually reminds me of a little bit is late career Antonio Gates, where he he wasn't really athletic it. to get open, but it was the nuance in his routes that got him Just open smart. enough, and then the big catch radius as well, the big catch radius where he can make some insane catches. I think Thaddeus Moss is going to find work in the red zone early on, before he becomes like a tight end one. I think he will find some work in the red zone, uh, getting just. Just catching over linebackers. If you if you throw one up to Thaddeus Moss, he's probably going to come down with it. He's his catch radius very yeah, impressive. He's just smart, and he like, I think that's a really good comp. Just he knows how to work angles, and he knows how to get open. Just just simple. Like he he knows how to get open. So my number two tight end is going to be Hunter Bryant out of Washington, listed at six two two forty. So he's not a not a tall tight end. He's got really undersized for a tight end actually in terms of uh, height. Uh, this dude can run routes like as a, like a receiver. Uh, you look at Evan Ingram out of New York, and like that's how his routes look. He's very nuanced route runner. They're very polished. Um, he won't ever be a great traditional tight end, tight end lined up on the line, but the second you involve him in the receiving game, you'll see the impact like immediately. He shows effectiveness when blocking in the second level, like is more of an agile blocker. Um, but when, if you ask him to take on these power rushers, it's not going to work out very well. He does show some flashes like where he'll hold his own, but it's more more often than not he's gonna get he's gonna get bullied there. Uh, he shows great hands in impact situations, but struggles with consistency in catching overall. Like you'll see him make this insane catch and in double coverage and take a huge hit and hold onto the ball, and you're just like, wow, this guy can catch. And then he's lofted a forty yard deep pass where he's wide open and he'll just drop it, and you're just like, what what just happened? <laughs> um, Best athleticism in the class at the tight end position by far, and he has excellent routes to complement that. So anytime you put those two together, you might you might find something here. I think he should work more out of like a flex position in his first year. I think he can gradually work to more of a tight end role, like a, a more of the traditional tight end role. But I do think to start off that you need to like work with him a little bit, play him as like more of a wing or a flex, uh, keep him away from the line of scrimmage where he's going to need to release against these outside linebackers because uh he do, he does need work there um but get him the ball in his hands and he'll make things happen against these linebackers yeah that was perfect i you know, I, I agree 100 with everything jason said um he definitely is the best athlete of the group and you know I, I wrote down evan ingram as his comp as well um i will say evan ingram is a terrible blocker and i think hunter bryant at least tries to be a good blocker yeah bryant has potential in that department yeah. like you'll see that he can grow into it yeah so I like you know I appreciate the effort and I appreciate him trying to to be a good blocker and he and he does execute double teams very well so I'll say that about him but you know he, he graded out as the best athlete and that's why he's number two like I think 
there are certain aspects. You know, he's not very well rounded. He's he struggles with drops, um, but he's the best athlete, and that's pretty clear. And if you're getting a guy who has the upside of Evan Ingram, and you take that shot, I think he'll probably end up going in the second round too, um, maybe round three. But again, he's one of those guys that's going to go show out at the combine, and his and his value is going to go up, and a lot of people are going to have him uh, moving up their list after you see this, just this incredible athlete put on a display because he's like it's not close there are other good tight ends in this class but athletically mobility wise quickness vertical leap hunter bryan's going to win every single one of those in from the tight end position so my number one guy is going to be kind of like a a, a late sleeper actually so he's not even one of these guys that's going to be thought of as a top option but it's going to be cheyenne o'grady out of arkansas listed at 6'4 250 and uh man this guy, watching the tape on him, I was so impressed. He has fantastic hands, fantastic route running. I listed his route running as an A, and I wasn't expecting that going in. I was expecting like a mauler. Um, he rejects to be a great receiver. I, I can't wait to see him like as a wing and flex role. I think you could even sneak him outside. I think I think he'll be an excellent receiver at the next level. Uh, now, when once the ball is is in his hands, he's not going to be the most athletic guy with the with like carrying the rock. But um, it's due to power where he excels there. Like you'll see him turn around and just truck a truck a defender, no matter who it is. He'll bulldoze him. He'll run through him. Good stiff arm. That's where that's where it's gonna work as a receiver for him is get the ball in his hands and let him get the yard t- the tough yards. Um, he's a great agile blocker. Not good when it comes to stronger rushers, which is interesting because he will bully guys with his strength in his route running. But I think uh, I think his base is a little off when it comes to power rushers. Uh, it might be something he can develop and progress in, but uh, right off the bat, he's not going to be a good power blocker. Um, but when it comes to getting to the second level or maybe even going one-on-one with an edge rusher at some times, it, it, it can work for him. He's a great agile blocker. Um, his tracking and his catch radius mixed together is freaking fantastic. It's, it's beautiful to watch him track this deep ball and just leap over a defender and reach up into the air. And it actually reminded me a little bit of Denzel Mims, like going from watching Denzel Mims to watching Cheyenne O'Grady. Sometimes that tracking and leaping up to, to grabbing this this football that's up in the air, it, it was amazing sometimes. And I think he'll make some uh, amazing plays happen at the next level right away. Like, I don't think... I don't think it's going to take too long for Cheyenne O'Grady to, to, to break out. It, it's going to happen quick. I don't know if it's going to happen in the first year necessarily. I, I It might take a little while. I think it'll happen some point around midseason where you'll see some highlights start to surface of him. Uh, one reason I do think he's going to fall and why he might be a sleeper more than others is uh, he did have off-field issues. I didn't really dig into it too much, but I do know that those off-field issues will probably push him down because he already was a sleeper. Um, but you know, if he puts up a big, a good pro day or he, he, he could rise of draft boards because this guy, I think he's going to test well. Um, and I just, I could see him being a good tight end down the line. I just great tight end it flashed on film so much. I'm really excited about Cheyenne O'Grady actually. He's really fun to watch. So you mentioned him as a, as a potential sleeper. So where, if you're the chargers and you're drafting a tight end and you want O'Grady, where would you take him? Oh boy. Um, I'm going to assume that rounds one through three are the typical positions of need. So I would say as high as maybe round five, because I would leave that fourth round pick open for just like a, a BPA situation. Cause I do think there's going to be a good receiver or lineman that, f- that falls to round four, especially when they're picking at the sixth spot there. Uh, so I would say like round five for O'Grady. Um, would be ideal and uh, you know if they let Henry go then I could I could see a fourth round pick on O'Grady yeah I think if you're letting Henry go then fourth round is a good spot to take a tight end you there's Trauman's probably in that area too and, and Harrison Bryant too um, I like O'Grady I wasn't as high as Jason on him um, but I did have him as my number seven tight end so my number one tight end is actually gonna be Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue um, he's 6'4 240 and, and simply put I think he's the best route runner in the group um, I think you can put him in any kind of situation, running digs, running slants, running fades, um, intermediate routes, deep routes, short routes, stick routes. I think you can do it all as a route runner. Um, that being said, he's probably the worst blocker of the group. 
um, which is funny because his his dad actually played offensive line in the NFL, which I, I didn't know until I was uh, digging into him a little bit. Um, but as a receiver, like if you want a guy, if you're drafting a tight end and you want him to come in and beat like a Travis Kelsey type, I think Travis Kelsey is a really great blocker. And I'm, and I'm not saying Hopkins is going to be Travis Kelsey. But if you want the purely receiving role Travis Kelsey offers, I think Bryson Hopkins is probably the closest that you could get in this class. Again, not saying he's Travis Kelsey. That's not happening here. But Hopkins does offer a lot of versatility as a route runner at the next level. So Hopkins, for me, was my number seven guy. And um, I, I love his route running. I listed it as an A+. I loved his routing. Great yeah. route runner. Yep. Um, so Hopkins, for me, doesn't particularly excel at blocking, but provides an average balanced skill set all around that I think can be developed at the in the NFL. Yeah, and he is a good frame. He has a good frame. He's six four two forty, like I said. So, um, in a right situation, he could become a good blocker. Just right now, it's not there. Yeah, it definitely needs to develop there a bit. But he does have the frame for it. Uh, he's not uber athletic, but he shows enough athleticism to complement his fantastic route running. Like, you don't need to be uber athletic as a guy like Keenan Allen showed in terms of like a good forty time to to be a great route runner. And Bryson Hopkins is actually a really really good route runner. Like. Uh, Hunter Bryant is is a good route runner uh, that complements it with his athleticism. Bryson Hopkins doesn't need that athleticism to be better of a route runner than Bryant is. So that that yeah. should say all you need to say about Hopkins route running. Um, I thought he actually showed inconsistent hands on tape, but shows them off in impact moments with his catch radius and playing physical at the catch point. But um, I, I didn't like his hands overall, like consistently. I, I saw a couple drops I did not like, and I saw a couple of those impact moments even where he the, it hit his hands, and it's usually one he came down with, uh, but at other times he wouldn't come down with it, which was a, a, a little concerning. Um, so I like Bryson Hopkins in general. I just don't think he's uh, elite in the in the specific things you're looking for out of your traditional tight end, which is where I think he fits yeah. more of. Um, and I don't think he's athletic enough to complement that route running like out in a flex position. I don't. I don't think it, it works for him. Uh, I, don't, I just don't see him matching up with a, a nickel corner and being able to out athletic, be a better athlete than that nickel corner. Um, he might be able to get open with that route running, but no, that's totally fair. I, I, you know, I do think his route running kind of inflated his his grade for me, um, just like Hunter Bryant's athleticism inflated his grade. I, but. You know, he does kind of struggle with drops a bit, and, you know, he's definitely not the best athlete. But, you know, he, he's a smooth route runner, and he can he definitely creates separation. And, and he does have a surprisingly good catch radius. I was, I was pleasantly surprised about his catch, rate, his catch radius, actually. Thanks, guys, for your rankings, and thanks, listeners, for following us as we've covered all the offensive skill positions coming out of the 2020 draft class. We do still have corner, linebacker, and defensive line to go before we start previewing free agency. After free agency... We're going to have our first of two mock drafts with the one coming before the draft. So stay tuned so you can hear Jason and Steven, I don't know, yell at each other for an hour. <laughs> Guys, as always, where can we find you? Yeah, so my personal Twitter account is Stephen I. Haglin, and then the uh, the podcast account is GAC Podcast 17 um, And stay tuned for them at that mock draft. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're also going to have a, a couple guests in March that, that are going to be a lot of fun to discuss free agency with for the Chargers and um, you know, March, it's, it's just a great time to be a football fan and, and you know, and, and it's going to be a great month. You can find me at Centauri 13 on Twitter. Thank God, uh, that you just, <laughs> you're back, dude. Your, your Twitter account I'm, is I'm free. back. That was close. That was a close call. Thank God. I was able to prove that I'm actually in my twenties and not 13 <laughs> years old. Now Thank you, God. Now you can, now you can continue your role as uh, the hype, the president of the love hype train. Right. That's which leads to my next thing. Hashtag Luff at six. All right. This is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon and we'll see you guys on Friday.